Before we begin, this episode of The Mockingcast is dedicated to the memory of John Owen, a beloved member of the Condon family who died last week. Welcome to The Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every other week to discuss a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us. Right, this is the opening question. What did you write your college essay about? What did you write your college essay about? Your personal statement. Let's go back to the past here. Um, RJ, let's start with you. I don't know. I think I avoided essays at all costs, to be honest what? with you. I don't remember. I was like, this is a fancy-ass question, Dave. I don't remember. I, I don't know. I was. Uh, there were definitely schools that I intentionally did not apply to because I had to write too many essays. It's like, let me just write numbers on a page and see if I get in. That's really what I want to do. So, You really didn't have to. You avoided I'm sure it entirely. I did, dude, but it was like 25 years ago, honestly. You guys lived in such a different universe than I lived in. Like. Like, it's crazy to hear you talk about this. Like, mm. I, like at Ole Miss, it was like, uh, are you literate? Okay. <laughs> Plus, honestly, like that was- what I really wanted to do, because I came from, like, a small, waspy town in Connecticut, is I wanted to go to a large, diverse state school. And those are the kind of schools yeah. that don't really require you to write no. an essay. So it all <laughs> it all worked out well. I had no interest in going to, like, a small no liberal arts college or something no, like that. No, that's true. No longer. Although Ole Miss, you still don't have to write an essay. Well, so Sarah, that's what you, we say. You must have written one. I can't imagine. You got, got, th- you got through without writing I, a college essay? I, I was a musical theater person. So I sang um, a a song from Annie, Get Your Gun. Okay. Okay. Can you give us a few bars of that then? Oh, yeah. Okay. You ready? (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, my God. I only remember like. I'm excited. You got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. That's all I remember. (laughs) Ooh, vibrato. Yeah, I like that. Lovely. I hadn't heard the, the but vibrato. I do need to say this. I just went through this with my el- oldest son two mm-hmm. years ago, and I have PTSD from that. So I have plenty to say. But I mean, we're all yeah. going to be doing this. It's oh, yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a scam. It's the worst thing ever. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's soul crushing. It's yeah. It's the worst. So just don't <laughs> go to college. So you have good good things to say. So about don't apply to any college that makes you write an essay. <laughs> go to Ole Miss. That will be the title of Abandon this episode. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Everyone gets into the University of Mississippi. Hey, like the kingdom of heaven. It's like the kingdom yes! of heaven. Yes! The glade. <laughs> well, I wrote I wrote about comic books. You guys, so you know. Did you really? I wrote about comic books. It was ill advised. I don't think I uh, oh, put my best foot forward, shall we say? But it was it was my attempt to talk about how I'd gone because uh, we'd moved around a bunch and we lived in yeah. Europe and stuff. I was trying to highlight the international Euro Dave aspect of my through comics through by saying, and it actually is true. <laughs> I went to all these, but this is the ladies and gentlemen. This is the years before it was cool to be a nerd. You know? It yeah, was like, I was gonna say this, that would probably be great now. Now, but that was not great then. No, 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 no. There were no Marvel movies. There's nothing. It right. was just like, wow, this kid really <laughs> went to, you know, Stuttgart and found the one place that sold American comics. So that was, <laughs> and um, I always, the, there's so much to be said I, here, Dave's all. There's so much. I can't believe you remember what you wrote though. That, I mean, <laughs> I can't, that yeah. is impressive. It's, you're acting like this isn't a hugely formative experience for like vast aspects of American society. It is. I hate to tell you. I just like not where I'm from, baby. It probably, okay. Honestly, it probably, okay. it probably was. <laughs> and remember, I, I not only applied to, to college, I applied to like boarding schools just like you did to Dave and, and had to write essays for that and everything. But I honestly don't really. No, mm. that's not true. Uh oh, here, here it comes. One. We just thought of one. Here it it comes. was prep school. It was prep, and the, what, the school I really wanted to get into. I remember the essay I wrote because the question was, "Who's the most um, impactful person in your life?" Mm-hmm. Did you say Jesus? I did not. I okay, said my good. mom. Oh, RJ. and they, and I didn't get in because they thought I was too sensitive and I wouldn't make it. Ooh. Well, they, they, well, I mean, if the shoe fair, fits, if the shoe fits. So there you go. So I do remember an essay I wrote, but only because I bore my soul and it became the vehicle oh. for denial. 
Oh awesome. my god, that's so, that so good. Great? Let me show you who I am well, so I tell, you can sucker punch me. The um, <laughs> I think I've told you guys before, but my younger brother, Simeon, who's now, you know, an academic, so it, mm-hmm. it, it took uh, the college experience with him, um, and he got into Harvard on the uh, basis of an essay he wrote about me bullying him. So wow! Oh my god! Yep, god. that's that's true. So it was basically about how cruel of an older brother I was, and and he must have elicited enough compassion and understanding that like the at that point at least the, the top school in the country said, "All right, we want you here." Um, so they were like, he 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 wrote like he was such an asshole that all he wrote about in his college admission essay was how he could find the one comic book store in the small town in Germany, and they I were like, this, "He's in! He's in! He lived with this guy." <laughs> what um uh, what's going on in uh, Condon Land? Oh man! Well, it's my birthday on Monday. Ooh. Hey, so thirty nine years old forever. Yeah, forever. yeah. It's your last birthday. It's uh, yeah. It's so yeah, yeah. It's such a weird thing. The last thing I got from my parents. I am not going to cry this early in this episode. The last thing I got from my parents was a birthday gift. And it was, I've probably said this before, but it was a robe and a really, really, really beautiful nightgown. Um, mm. And it was like the perfect thing because it's all I wore after they died. Like, and they gave me this card. I can't believe I haven't sent you guys a picture of this. And it's a little girl with like scruffy, like beautiful blonde hair. She looks like Annie and she's holding a computer in one hand and a coffee cup in the other. And she's in a fluffy bathrobe. And on the inside of the card, it says something like it's like step one coffee, step two conquer the world, which is like exactly the kind of card my parents would have sent me. And I love the cover of the card so much. And I, um, sorry, I'm like crying in the intro. Um, I kept meaning to call my mom and tell her that I love the card even more than the gift. Mm. But I never got to. So anyway, it um, it sits on my Meemaw's Bible on my um, dresser. And I get to look at it every day. Along with a trophy my other grandmother got me that says most beautiful that she had made at a trophy shop when I was four. That's, I remember. You no would... one voted me most beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but she thought I was. It's my little like corner of like love. Of I think you could have written a hell of a college essay about the most beautiful trophy. I know. That would, I, know. I just wasted it right now. <laughs> Waste know, opportunity. Right? Um, Missed our, anyway, so it's my birthday and it'll be emotional, but it'll also be good. So, yeah. um, you know, it'll be all the things. Mom's birthdays are really about kids anyway. They're like, where are we going to eat? What are we going to get you at Target? So, <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's, I keep <laughs> thinking of that SNL thing. What did we get for mom? Got a robe for oh, Christmas. God, another totally. robe. And then yeah, she got to burn yeah, yeah. Her, her hands making. <laughs> <laughs> hot uh, hot cross buns for the family. Oh, mm-hmm. Rutger, what do you got to contribute here? What's, nothing, what's happening? Right? Nothing to contribute. Nothing. What else is new? <laughs> uh, what is going on here? I don't punchy know. Today. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up, I guess, which is yeah. weird and excited for my oldest son to come home and eat a lot of turkey and chill out a little bit. But uh, I'm doing okay. I mean, things are things are feel like they're getting back to normal a little bit. We had a okay. really good Sunday at church. Um, full Sunday choir was back for the first time since so March nice. 2020. But I'm also just really tired, like really tired, you know, just been working yeah. so hard the past couple years. So, um, yeah, a mixture of yeah. joy and, and relief. It's like, you know, when you uh, you go on vacation and you immediately get sick. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you're, like you're, yeah. your body's sort of like lets down a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like, maybe now things are getting back to normal. I'm just going to need to go to bed for like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, it was 58 degrees on Saturday, on Sunday morning, Ooh. and they're getting in the car, and Marshall turns J- Ma- Jamie and goes, uh, it's so cold, it's it's like Christmas out here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 58 degrees. So. Oh, my goodness. Florida, baby. Long way from Connecticut, my friend. Mm-hmm. That's all right. That's all right. Um, oh well, let's be get back to it, uh, to... Back to the college essay thing, because uh, uh, Joseph E. Davis wrote an incredible thing for the Hedgehog Review called The The Studied Art of the College Application Essay. And Brian Jarrell highlighted it in his Another Weekend's column on uh, the Mockingbird site. And it's, by the way, if you're not tuned into that column, we, we draw on it a lot, and it's fantastic. And he opens, Brian opens by saying that the, it's clear that our age, our secular age values authenticity and nowhere is that trend more evident and absurd than in the pressure cooker of college admissions. 
And if you've been following this at all, you know that like standardized test scores are kind of being devalued as a, yeah. as criterion to get into schools. And the personal essay has become more and more important because, um, yeah, for a variety of different reasons. And it, you could say that it's not so bad because like standardized testing is always been... I mean, this is good news for those of us who are not gifted in math, I have yes. to say. This is good news for it's, us. It's yeah. never been that accurate of a you know assessment, right. I think. But the flip side of the equation is actually that things become more ephemeral and harder to measure because of this word authenticity. Better the enemy you know. <laughs> Here's what uh, Joseph E. Davis has to say. The performance of authenticity is complicated because the application essay involves mixed messages, some of which don't easily mix. The goal of the personal statement, according to the prep service Kaplan, is to show the reader your unique character and traits. Your, quote, unique qualities will shine through if you're honest and genuine. But being different from others is not enough, Davis writes. One's uniqueness only matters if what's special about you demonstrates that you have more to offer than the next candidate. Your authenticity, your specific difference, must lift you above them into that coveted file marked exactly who we've been looking for. But this is interesting because today um, it's, it's absolute taboo to judge people based on their authentic self. And so what's actually being judged in the personal statement is their, is a person's engagement with their actual self, with their authentic self. Sort of, it's um, just how aware of your authenticity are you? So this is what Davis says. Since the self is sacrosanct and therefore beyond judgment, but what can be judged in this method of reading is the self's judging of the self. What makes this possibility compelling is that the content of the personal essay is always largely focused on self-transformation. Although there are different prompts that a student can write on, they all share a common theme. They require students to reflect on a meaningful experience, encountering an obstacle, solving a problem, questioning a belief that affected them and brought about some personal development insight or new perspective. The self-judgment that colleges judge is a particular type of of personal transformation, what one theorist calls a metanoic conversion. Now, metanoia, for those of you who, who know the New Testament or have read a bunch of Fleming Rutledge, Sarah's looking very confused. I have no idea what you're about to say. It's a decisive change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I think, the Greek for repentance, Sarah. Yes. Um, it's, I'm telling you, I scam this stuff, okay? It is a decisive, it means a it refers to a decisive Meta, change of heart or thinking. Yeah. It's the experience of a transformation of being, a moving away from a prior self that was deficient in some way. So in the context of the personal essay, that... A prior condition might be ignorance, self-doubt, naivete, provincialism, misguided behavior. The possibilities are endless. The prior self is not the key. The crux is the change in orientation. So the evaluations of the essay centers on how students present the critical distancing, the finding in institutionally congruent ways of their motivation and their voice. So what he, what's basically Davis is saying is that in a world that cannot judge someone based on their identities, the college admissions process has turned to judging people based on the quality and authenticity of their repentance. Uh. Brian says, look, reader, I have been in plenty of churches that welcomed everyone regardless of their identity, but judged the hell out of them about the quality of their repentance. It's miserable and a recipe for emotional and spiritual disaster. Go find and hug a high school senior. Oh my gosh. I thought that's a beautiful interpretation by Brian. Um, but what an interesting thing, because, you know, the, the personal essay, the personal statement as, as essentially a, a, um, a demonstration of repentance, something I used I to think this. I actually this. have a suggestion yeah. to help students Let's who are it. doing this. You know, we have been critical of um, sort of the white woman Instagram that's into like, you know, transracial adoption and like white house paint with... Uh, just like house plants as decor and they wear hats. So this is how you shall know them. Um, but they kind of write these over and over again. So if you're a high school senior or the parent of a high school senior, you need to put them on white woman Christian Instagram Ooh. and just read them because that's basically, in fact, copy paste. See what happens. I once was blind, but now I see. And, and by right. see, I mean, I've got a new filter. And, and by see, I mean, I've hats. gotten a small child from Uganda and things are great for her. Gosh. No, no questions needed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's my thought. RJ, you have something eloquent to say. 
No, I just have a lot. You I have a so lot to say. I'm so frustrated because I just went through this <laughs> with so my oldest son two years ago. Yeah. Preach, and it was, preach and it was to us, awful. Preacher. It was just awful. And I will yeah. say, um, I'll say, I'll what say are they looking things. for? Well, first of all, what he says they're looking for. I've attended meetings with, uh, you know, college admissions workers from high-end universities who've sworn that's exactly what they don't want. They're like, don't send mm. us the essay that said, I used to think this, and then I went on a trip in Africa summer before my sophomore year, and now I know this to be true, you know, uh-huh. and this this encounter with uh, another culture that's less privileged than I am led to a, a profound reimagined. Like, do not send that essay. We, we've heard that essay okay. a million times. We don't want it. That's what they say. Okay. That's what they say. They say. Now, whether that's true or not, and I'll say, we went all in on the college essay, all in. My son took a class offered by his high school like a year and a half in advance of when the college entrance essay was due, which was a week long. The class was a week long. It was during the summer. What? During the summer for a week to try to get together the perfect college essay, which we ended Mm. up completely throwing away after we ran it by a friend of ours who has worked in the college admissions departments of two different Ivy League universities. And he was like, yeah, you need to start over. This is not what they're looking for. So Mm. we did. And this whole thing about needing to show transformation without showing it, be your genuine self, you also have to show that you're really passionate about something at 17 Mm -hmm. years old. How many 17-year-olds do you know who are really passionate about something and know what they want to do with the rest of their life? And he couldn't write about girls. And it just happens to be both highly highly lucrative and altruistic (laughs) at the same time, you know, and have demonstrated um, leadership, you know, where they've led others in the same kind of – it's it's, – who then can be saved, RJ? It's absurd. I think this is like a wreck, like when a church is looking for a new priest. Yes, you know what I mean? It like- is. It is. So we went all in, and he went all in, and spent hours and hours and hours, and the whole time is just like, I hate this. I hate talking about myself. I don't want to sell myself. I don't want to brag mm. on myself. I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. That's why I'm going to college, is to figure right. that out. Right. Um, and I basically feel like it was a gigantic waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if, well, I'm about to do it again with my next son. And part of me just <laughs> wants to say, dude, write whatever the hell you want to write. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, what do you think there are looking for what you just outlined, that basically impossible threading of the needle that... Yeah, they want a 17-year-old who is um, fully formed, deeply repentant, uh, politically correct in every sense of the word, you know, who's done something to change the world already as a okay, teenager... Yeah. You know, and then maybe, oh, and it would also really help if you, you know, especially for private schools, if you were incredibly wealthy, (laughs) you know, and, um, or, or, or incredibly not, you know, one of those two things. So, uh, it just seems like such a weird thing. That's my experience. Are we just looking for young people to save us? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Like, are we just looking for young people to save us? I don't know. Like, I walked onto campus at Rice this week, and they had put up, like, new signs on the pole. And you know how you have these, like, cute little, like, whatever. And and so they've taken down all the, like, COVID, and they put up signs that say, be bold. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And, like, even when I was praying with my students yesterday, it just, like, came out. I was like, Lord... We just, we pray that these students would know that they do not have to be bold like the signs <laughs> say around them, but that they can rest in you. Oh like, my goodness. They were bold enough to get here. Like, can we let them take a minute? Like, bold I enough don't know. To, to wake up this morning. Right. Right. Mm. Right. It's I mean, just, you know who's yeah. good on this is uh, Malcolm Gladwell is pretty good on this, right? Because he just thinks yeah. the whole uh, American college entry system, right, is, is a complete farce. You know, and yeah. he talks a little bit, I mean, he's a, he's a little bit, holier than now because he talks about the Canadian system where he says there are a couple, there are a few elite colleges in Canada, but they're huge and they get bigger and bigger and bigger as the country grows. Whereas the elite colleges in America are not growing and they're they're trying to stay small and they want to show the lowest possible acceptance rates. And they're also trying to raise billions and billions and billions of dollars, which they don't really need, (laughs) you know, and, and it's, um, it's a very bizarre. It has to do with status. Um, oh, you were you wait what yeah, exactly? Status? Exactly status. College import- admissions has to do with status. I know that's a, sounds a, it's a stupid thing to say. No, so, the, so the edit, golden edit, edit, the no. golden admissions it's, letter it's, is what we worship. It has nothing to do yeah. with what it's actually supposed to be about. 
Yeah. Let's put it well, that way. and I honestly like I keep thinking RJ about the kid that wrote the essay that they had a life changing experience when they visited a different country, and how that's such a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. and it's so painful to hear that that's not that they've read that too many times. It gets you know, commodified, it's like, and it's like your your oh experience God. doesn't really count. It's- yeah, it's like we want you to be. We want you to to be vulnerable, but we don't want that vulnerable. I don't know. Like your yeah, like your experience is not valuable. Like yeah. I don't know. That's just a, such a bummer thing to say to someone who's like just about to step into to college. I will yeah, say this: if you have a if yeah. you have a kid, and you probably if you have a kid who's about to go through the college admissions process, or if you are a kid going through the college admissions process, which I can't imagine you're listening, but if you are, there's a great book called Tell All Your Friends. Um, <laughs> Where You Go is Not Who You Will Be by Frank Bruni. Where You Go is Not Who You Will Be. And it's just stories about, um, you know, people who went to various colleges with various levels of prestige and ranking. And um, they were okay. (laughs) Like, they did very well. Um, And that it's more who you are, you know, is more important than uh, where you go to college. You know, and that's uh, that's beautiful. I mean, that yeah. message cannot be repeated enough. By yeah. the way, I think it's it's not only is it something that I think hopefully makes its way into some pulpits in the country, but the the amount of um, uh, just pressure that I think this that seventeen to eighteen year olds who are going to college in in America at least are under is just astronomical. And the com- compassion, if you truly understand what is what they think is at stake. If yeah. it, I mean, even if it's not at stake, but what they think is at stake, yeah. you can, if you are, are, have blood flowing through your veins, the only logical response is compassion and rest and maybe a gift card. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yes. it, this is yes. that I, I've been working with these, these kids for a long time and they think the rest of their life is hanging on this one thing. Yeah. And there's the cards are the, 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 what college admissions essay gets them in is so arbitrary and has a lot to do because I've, I dear friend was one of the head admissions people here. It has a lot to do with what order the essays are read in, what the person reading it had for coffee that morning. I mean, Mm -hmm. for breakfast that morning. They get in a fight about the dishwasher with their husband. It is exactly. Hypothetically. It is just so it's, it, there's no way to, uh, to game it, except for but and yet everyone is under this impression that it's possible to game it. And then again, what on earth are we actually going to? What is what is the, we there, we keep talking about that 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 wonderful documentary that came out a few years ago called uh, Race to Nowhere. And it was all yeah. about the college admissions process in America, probably funded by some 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 parents of some kids who didn't get into the schools they wanted to. But it uh, it it. I think it gets at a deeper existential um, reality for a lot of folks that there, you know, when we talk about burnout, a lot of what burnout is about is not only that you're tired, but that you feel betrayed by this system that you thought was meritocratic, that you thought was fair and it didn't turn out to be. And what you, even if you did get into UVA, Harvard, you know, Berkeley, wherever, um, that that you then find you have more hoops to jump through and it just never seems to end and there's no guarantee at any point. And yet that's what you're led to believe at every single stage of it. So I don't and know how you could, can't become cynical. And if you're a parent, remember that this is not about the sticker you get to put on the back of your car. <laughs> the seculosity of, uh, you know, of, it's uh, not about parent your, your own ego. It's not about your quality as a parent. This is about your, your child and their uh, sense of, self-worth and the unconditional love that you shower on them and the fact that it's going to be okay there's a god there's a god in heaven and it's all going to be okay this is such actual small potatoes in the large scheme of things and you know if all else fails just just encourage one of your children to bully the hell out of the other (laughs) and create some sort of narrative of uh you know overcoming adversity in the house totally and with don't mention comic books anywhere in there no comic book. You're the you know, gift make that sure keeps on giving, Dave's all. See, I, this is why people tune in, I think. This is- but also, go to Ole Miss. Okay, we're done with this one. <laughs> they let everybody in, okay? Well, everybody. It looks really fun. 
It is really and fun. Faulkner and you can put there, an Ole Miss they? sticker. Do you know what? There's a great phrase right now they're using in Oxford, and you can put this sticker on the back of your car. It says, well, we win every party. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we win every party. Um, I love it. Well, on to the next uh, bit of cultural legalism. And this is a heavy one, uh, but also an interesting one uh, for from what, what some people would consider to be a cultural villain or maybe just people that aren't allowed to speak. Emily Ratajkowski, I think I'm saying that right, uh, and The Burden of Being Perfect Looking by mm. Carrie Batan in The New Yorker. Now, if you know who Emily Ratajkowski is, she is a model. She was in a video for Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke, which I... I'm not uh, lying. I've never seen, but apparently it made qu- quite an impression on quite a few adolescent boys. That Let's just put it that way. She's a I'm model and an that. entrepreneur. And um, this is she's written a book of essays about her life. And this is what Carrie Batan in the New York writes. She says, even in the era of supposed body positivity and self-acceptance, the amount of resources devoted per woman to grooming, primping, nipping, and tucking towards some aspirational physical ideal is extraordinary, and yet so easily shrugged off as part of everyday life. But what about the rare women who are those physical ideals? The women born with the supernatural beauty to which others aspire. This is the position from which Emily Ratajkowski, the model and entrepreneur, writes. If there is a thesis statement to be drawn from her somewhat muddled debut, it's that physical beauty is a heavy cross to bear. Beauty is not an antidote to emotional anguish or self-doubt, but instead a breeding ground for more insecurity. Emily writes, I so desperately craved men's validation that I accepted it even when it came wrapped in disrespect. Mm. The central and most, perhaps most exasperating contradiction of my body, that's the, uh, the book, is Ratajkowski's warring descriptions of her career path. One moment being on display is an act of pure empowerment that makes her feel badass, special, in control. The next, her career is a hideous double bind that she pursues strictly in the name of financial security or because people won't take anything but her looks seriously. In one of the book's most scandalizing essays, Transactions, Ratajkowski admits that she once accepted $25,000 to sit in a billionaire's box at the Super Bowl. Later, she's invited to go to Coachella, all expenses paid by a creepy promoter, an offer that she is conflicted about. Ultimately, she writes, I was too excited to turn it down. As much as she alludes to being in control, Ratajkowski seems incapable of making a decision that doesn't actively reinforce the things that make her feel bad. Let me just say that again. As much as she alludes to being in control, Ratajkowski seems incapable of making a decision that doesn't actively reinforce the things that make her feel bad. She confesses to still being, quote, addicted to the sensation of being loved on Instagram. It would be dishonest to claim that there isn't something a little galling about a beautiful woman, a beautiful, thin, straight white woman, complaining about how difficult it is to be perfect looking. And yet, in reading Ratajkowski's essays, one gets the sense that she is genuinely tormented, besieged by a kind of self-doubt that few people would trade their bodies for. She desperately wishes for the world to see her as something more than a pretty face. Gosh, I just, um, I mean, I have nothing but a lot of empathy for her. I, I honestly, you know what, it, it's such a strange thing, but it makes me think of, um, I took my students and it was so much fun. <laughs> I did not know how it was going to go, but it was very fun to a Renaissance festival here in Houston. Mm. And they all got dressed up and it was pirate weekend. And so, you know, the girls in the group were, were, I mean, they're super cute. They were super cute for this. And, you know, I mean, for better or worse, I'm just in like mom mode. So I'm in like a ministry t-shirt, giant shorts and a baseball hat, you know, and also I'm basically 45. And so I was walking around with them and we had boys there too, but this did not happen to them. And the, the comments that they would get just from being in that space, I just, I mean, there was at one point, like I stepped in front of a guy to kind of block him from one of my young women. Mm. 
And I thought, God, I forgot. I mean, and I never, ever looked like a model, certainly. But I forgot how exhaustive it is to be 20 years old and female, mm. just to exist in the world. Um, and so I just, I, I, I can't hear this at all. I mean, I would be interested to read this book. I can't hear this at all and not think just have deep empathy for this woman. Like, and the fact that it's so much more complicated because she makes money off of it, you know? So it's like, how do you, and it's so like Roman seven. Mm, I mean, that quote, it's just like, I do the thing I do not want to do, you know, like God bless her. I mean, seriously, like somebody give her the gospel. Well, you know, it's, it's, there's always, I think that it's almost a trope in preaching that we talk about people who um, seem to have it all. And that they're not happy, or that having, yeah. or that on the inside they're hurting, yeah. and uh, so so you almost hear it so much that you're like, yeah, 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 but still, I'd really rather look like her, yeah. you know. Still, I'd right. I'd really rather be Tom Brady, you know, right. like and 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 tormented as well. Right. Um, but then to read this this testimony of what it's really like, um, that uh, to fulfill the law is not to fulfill the law. I mean, you, there's no yeah. end, and it in fact. It's like the higher, what, what is the thing we always say? The higher you climb on the ladder, the further apart the rungs get. And so if you, if you meet people at the top of the ladder, they're, they're not less insecure than those at the bottom. Mm-hmm. They're more insecure. Mm-hmm. And I can just, as someone who's worked in uh, ministry and at prep schools and to very wealthy places, frankly, I can attest to that being true. It's not just a convenient truth that we tell. It's actually the truth that um, what she's saying about herself. And I, you're right. It is brave for her to confess to being so complicit in it. Um, yeah. She's saying, absolutely. yes, I hate it, but I also continue to choose it despite not being forced to. And yeah. I love it. And she, there's, there's other stories in there of her apparently, you know, creepy photographers where she like is both creeped out, but then also trying to impress them and like wants them to, to be, she wants to be even oh, sexier than anyone they've ever met. And, and to admit that in a culture yeah. that lionizes sort of wants to break everyone down into strictly victims or, or victimizers. Right. She's basically saying, um, I have what I everyone wants, and I am just as screwed up. I am low anthropology 101 here. RJ, as a, as a physical specimen who's remarkably well-preserved. He's like, Benjamin Button, tell us what it's like. <laughs> tell us what it's like, RJ. Is it th- do you find it this hard as a man? I mean, you can cut this, but I once saw a former first lady, I, RJ Rucker, up and down. So. <laughs> up and down. I was like, what is she looking at? And then I turn, I'm like, oh, it's RJ. She clearly like, can't oh, see. Jamie. She cannot see the inside. That's for sure. <laughs> That's right. He's going beet red, everyone. Let, let's let's hear it, RJ. It just it's everything. It's everything you guys have said that everybody has their own stuff. Everyone's yeah. got their cross to bear, and and um, it's a reminder to me of, of all those uh, ways in which I think if only X, then I would be happy. <laughs> you yeah. know, mm-hmm. if only. X, I would be uh, more at peace or be able to sleep better at night or not be so anxious or whatever it is. And that it's not, all those things are not to be found in attainment or success, but but somehow in, um, I don't know, giving up a little, giving up on all that, you know, finding mm-hmm. something uh, that, that's more, that lasts more that, uh, you know, I said this a lot. It's, you know, belovedness where, belovedness where you are. That you are loved right, mm. right now, right here, right now. Um, God doesn't need you to be anything more than you are at this moment to be with you, you know, and love you. Doesn't mean He's not working on you. Doesn't mean that He's not changing you. Um, but I don't know. It's just it's very true, and it's 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 sort of what we talked about last week. Um, that getting everything you think you want, being famous, being wealthy, being beautiful, being um, successful is not going to lead to the kind of peace and joy that you think it will. And that's something I'd tip, you know, because I, I still want those things. Like you said, I, st- yeah, I still want those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I still want the bad things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, that's not, uh, yeah. that's not where it's at. And it, but, but it's still the desire is- for those things, the desire for the, for the affirmation of others is just it's it's such a unforgiving taskmaster and it mm-hmm. never ever ends yeah so 
What is the, what is yeah. the quote? Quote uh, you guys remember? It's either I think it's Garrett Verde or but riffing on Luther saying that the thirst for glory is never satisfied by um, attaining glory, but through extinguishing. Yes. The oh. thirst. What, how, what is it, RJ? Like the thirst for glory can never be assuaged. It can only be yeah. Extinguished. Yeah, extinguished. Something like that. Something yada yada yada. Yeah. Dance. Yada yada. I just always call him. I call him Gerald. So I, you know, like where your your leagues beyond me. Um, yeah. I I keep thinking actually, RJ. I love like how you think about this in the universal way because like her experience is actually, I actually think is very universal. Like we all have a thing, mm. right? That is the thing that we hang like, our hat both, on. Yes. Yeah. And that we are like, we are like trying to keep together, you know? I mean, I think about like how, I mean, maybe she's like naturally looks like is thin and everything, but most people are not. And especially as we age. Right. Mm. And like, a lot of that is kind of beyond your control, but you feel like, you know, controlling every meal, controlling every activity, like how all of that becomes a part of your like neuroses. And we all have a thing that is like that for us that sort of rules us. Um, Mm. And, you know, I just, I think if you can think about it from that standpoint, there's just, there's a, I don't know. I just have a lot of empathy for her. I think, um, but you're told you on know, one, one level, you're told you're not allowed to have empathy for someone like that. She, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, one needs to only look at like, you know, statistics of sexual harassment and imagine her in an industry that, you know, is really run by men, even though there's a lot of women in it and how much of that she must. I mean, she's like just in this talking about this book. There's like two creepy guys. She, I mean, that's probably a regular everyday thing for her. Mm-hmm. Like, God, that just makes me want to pull the covers over my head, you know? And I think she's the, well, like a lot of these things, she's the extreme case that sheds light sure. on the non-extreme cases because, yeah. um, and, and that's what we actually need to, people, some people would say, well, the extreme case only applies to extreme people, the, only the mega talented, right. the people on that level. But in fact, I think, um, and this is actually straight from Luther, uh, that the extreme mm-hmm. cases, Luther was a, Martin Luther was a very neurotic uh, person who is ex- very uh, anxious about his standing with God, and that instead of that being only uh, that that angst only applying to him in the in the opening of the, I think here I stand by Roland Bainton, it says that that the, he's the extreme case which sheds light on the general that the extreme cases in in Emily Ratajkowski actually actually sheds light on what all of us deal with on some level, and this is actually why. Language of uh, privilege, I think, has a place and it can be very important, but it also misses the ultimate boat in that some the, the most quote-unquote privileged people I know are that has not shielded them from an enormous amount of pain and suffering and in their own way. <laughs> in fact, if anything, it sometimes has created more of it. And so this yeah. person we're not supposed to feel sorry for who makes gazillions yeah. of dollars, she gets paid $25,000 to go sit in a billionaire's box at the Super Bowl. A lot of people, women or men would say, well, that sounds pretty damn good. And yeah. in fact, um, no, it's not good. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. just hell is getting everything you want, I guess. Uh, and I don't yeah. think she... I just... Do we know what her resolution... Like, I wonder what her resolution on this is. Mostly because I'm like, should we ask her to talk at the spring conference? <laughs> <laughs> well, she uh, the, the, the person who is speaking at the spring conference is Anne Helen Peterson, who wrote the book about burnout called Can't Even. And um, oh, cool. she's one of the persons... She, uh, her newsletter, if people aren't subscribed to it, is fantastic. And one of the people that she has highlighted, Anne Helen Peterson, um, mm-hmm. is uh, someone named Catherine Jezer Morton. Catherine Jezer Morton has a um, wonderful, wonderful uh, newsletter called Moms, uh, Mothers Under the Influence. She is a PhD student writing about mom f- influencing, like the, or mompreneurship or whatever it's called these days. <laughs> She's fascinating. And this is, this next article comes from Catherine Jezer Morton. Is cozy season a cry for help? I mean, we're in cozy season. I sent you guys earlier on, on the way to the recording a, a display from the window right across my office. It just was nothing about Higgy and cozy season. And are you all cozied up? This is what Catherine Jezer Morton says. It's Huga. Okay, keep going. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note... Um, the momfluencers are big into representations of coziness. But this is one social media theme that it seems like everyone embraces. 
At the start of the season, I noticed that coziness was coming on with extra ferocity this year. Although one can never be so sure, seasons always seem so loud online. I can say for certain that over the last a year or so, coziness has become a powerful social media aesthetic, particularly due to the pandemic and people being homebound. And this is sort of the also the demographic you mentioned earlier, the white women on Instagram, Bo Burnham skit. Uh, she goes on to say, whatever the origins of the aesthetic coziness online might be, it started out as a feeling, not a collection of objects. The aesthetic tries to conjure the feeling, and I have two questions. How well does it succeed, and why do we want that feeling so bad? Instagram representations of coziness are primarily about safety and comfort, but they're also about order and control. Everything in its right place. The house is cleaned, the candles lit. No unexpected intrusions can disturb the feeling. Just as important as what we see, the couch, the socks, the candle, are the things we don't see. Mass disorder, the unpredictable reality of the world outside. What if our obsession with coziness has grown in step with our growing feeling of collective precariousness, economic, environmental, social? My bed is beside a window, and we keep the window cracked at night well into the fall so as to heighten the feeling of being cozy in bed. You can't really get that feeling of being safe and warm without the awareness that out there it's cold. Likewise, the colder and more brutal it is in the outside world of work, social interaction, success and failure, fear and dread, the more it feels precious and delicious uh, to be inside our little homes. She's a great writer. Good Lord. Um... I also think of coziness as a heightened, almost erotic feeling of belonging. You are in your own space, and if there's anyone in there with you, they are allies who truly know you, because you wouldn't share this sock-footed intimacy with just anyone. This is, I think, the melty core of coziness. This is the dragon we're all chasing. Uh, using Instagram, however, to conjure the feeling of coziness is like using an abacus to write a novel. <laughs> This is where she concludes before she goes off on Brene Brown, but this is what she says. She says, cozy season on social media might be a cry for help. We all want so badly to belong somewhere, and the perfect artifacts of coziness can't help us achieve that feeling. Collect a bunch of cozy projecting objects, and you'll just end up working to maintain your stuff, when what you really need is for your stuff to maintain you. I mean, uh, it's... um, Deeply um, insightful, I think. The the coziness yeah. thing is, uh, uh, it could be, in the, especially in the time of COVID where people were all trapped at home, like coziness became our mode of control, our mode of safety, our mode of uh, sure. grace, uh, in fact. Um, but here he says, is coziness, is the season of cozy, the cozy season a cry for help? What do you two think? I mean, I love this piece. Uh, and I said that today when he sent it to me. I, I have had this like thought before I had this thought yesterday when I was walking um, into Whole Foods and there was like pumpkins out and there was like a Kirkland's and you could buy blankets and, and I was like, I and it's 65 really, degrees outside. This is yeah. Same. <laughs> and this is the thought I had. I thought, I guess this is what we do now. Like that's always like I'm always like what do we do a hundred years ago? I mean, you know, I always ask myself this question, and it's like, well, you were like farming or whatever, and it's like I guess we just like go out and buy stuff like when the season changes now, and it's very I mean the allure of cozy and honestly like the healing of cozy Mm -hmm. is important, but. And, and I say that as like, you know, when mom and dad died, Mockingbird basically was, well, I'm going to put credit where credit's due. Jane Grizzle, mm. uh, who brought everything to my house, Mockingbird gave us all these Christmas gifts. It was like the sweetest, most amazing, dearest thing. Um, and I mean, you can cut this, but Nadia Bolts Weber sent us weighted blankets, like really, really lovely weighted blankets. And we've never taken them off our beds, even though it's hot as hell in Houston. <sighs> and it's super, super comforting for my kids and for Josh and I. And so I think cozy has a place. Mm. Um, uh, but I, but I don't think you want to get lost in it for forever. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not anti cozy. That's ridiculous. We're not anti cozy. <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, I, I do remember, 
Um, you know, when I hadn't got off the couch for like weeks and Josh came through and very sweetly said, you know, you kind of look like the grandparents from Charlie and Chocolate Factory. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, it's like, I mean, at some point, like, yeah, you, you, you actually need to be, I mean, I really believe as Christians, like we're called to be in the world and to be with people. And I think that is something that the pandemic took away from us or tried to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mm. It's funny. In uh, This is a big thing in Dutch culture. It's a huge thing. In, yes. There's, there's a word. Gezellig. Hugo. Gezellig. Uh, okay. Which I'm not so saying. I'm not saying. Like I'm not other. saying correctly. Neither of us are but saying it's a, right. it's, okay, And great. it's a huge thing in Dutch culture. This feeling okay. of coziness, and it's historic, right? Yeah. If you think about like a Vermeer painting from the 17th century, there are these very intimate interior scenes where people yeah. are together and Candles. things are in their right place, and there's um, these rugs and this nice natural light coming in, and it's, just, Bruegel, it's very like Peter Bruegel's paintings. Yeah, yeah. It's very. It's very cozy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a historic idea. Um, I don't know if I, you know, I was tempted to say, I don't know if I'm that into coziness. It makes me feel a little claustrophobic, you know, I kind of want to go outside and like, you know, jump off something high into a freezing cold body of water and just, just get, again you know, with the cliff jumping. Exactly. With this guy. Okay. That's, right. That's, but. RJ's such an outdoorsman. You know. uh, rugged. rugged. How, that's how, else you, how else do you maintain that physique? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also true that I just love being with my brothers. You know, I oh, love yeah. being with my brothers, yeah. whether it's, you know, Same. Thanksgiving or Christmas or during the summer or something, because there is this feeling of just being together and being known. And it doesn't matter what we're doing together. We're just together. And and she talks about that too, right? Sort of manufactured coziness versus genuine coziness. And that we're all kind of chasing a feeling of community and belonging, which you can't buy at Whole Foods. No. Um, or at Kirkland's, I've tried Yeah, and we try to do that and it works for like a second maybe and then it just mm -hmm. feels like a cheap fake. And Dave, I've really been thinking about something you said about 15 minutes ago about burnout coming not just from being tired but from feeling betrayed. And mm -hmm. that is just, that's so true. And it, and it fits with the Rajakowski thing a little bit because we're, we, we know what we want. We want belovedness. We want community. We want to let our hair down. We want to feel comfortable. And we look for all these ways to get what we want, whether it's through attainment or buying things. And then it doesn't deliver and it just leaves us feeling betrayed and burned out. Mm -hmm. um, and this past year has been a lot of that too, because as much as we've tried to manufacture coziness out of our isolation, it's still just isolation. Yeah. It still mm -hmm. just sucks, you know? It's still, it, mm -hmm. it's just, um, unless you're really blessed to have an incredible group of friends or family that live close by and you've been able to do it together. Um, but right. even then, probably it's been maybe a little bit too much togetherness. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. Um, because I love seeing, my, I do love seeing my brothers and I often, I've wished that we, at some point we might all live somewhere close together. Um, but I also know, you know, we're all people and chances are if we saw more of each other, there'd be more conflict. But I mean, Dave, you must, you feel that way about your brothers too, but is my, except for Simeon, obviously, I but mean, you feel that way about, um, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I'm just not going to go on record about any of that, but, um, uh, I will. I definitely feel that way about my brother. I will say yeah. this. I was, when I always think of coziness, what I always think of, she talks about how Wind of the Willows is like, um, the, you know, the. The, the all-time greatest cozy novel, and mm -hmm. Wind of the Wills is about some very dark things. If you've read it, and if you or if you've even seen the Disney cartoon about it, but um, for me, coziness, I always think of Calvin and Hobbes. I always think mm. of uh, you know Kevin and Hobbes, yes, being by the fire and uh, with hot <laughs> chocolate. And um, but what's so great about Calvin and Hobbes, and one of the many things that's great about it, is it's always the both end. It's like he he is just tracked in a ton of dirt, and his mom's gonna have to clean it up, or his dad's gonna yell at him, or something like that, or he's gonna run away from the bath, and and then still, it's still there's also coziness as well. Like I yeah. remember asking my, I never thought about that. It's always like winter. Or, a, I mean, I times. guess it's not always, but they've got beautiful sort of winter fall. Oh, it's it's Ohio. It's, it's 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 supposed to be Ohio. Uh, well, that's yeah. where Watterson grew up. But the um, the 
I remember asking my mother, because we, uh, like RJ, I grew up in the Northeast outside of New York, and we had big snowy winters. And my brothers and I always talk about this, um, and brothers or, or here play in here to RJ, but we always talk about how, how much fun we'd have sledding. And like we'd stay out for hours and then come home and there'd be fire and there'd be, um, you know, uh, melted marshmallows and, and hot chocolate. And it was just like, this, we have this, you know, almost Thomas Kincaid picture in our mm-hmm. minds. And I, we talked to, I talked to my mom about it after having, raising small boys of my own and realizing that maybe the... <laughs> <laughs> the rose-colored reality was a little different, and I said the marshmallow-colored glasses. The marshmallow-colored glasses, yeah. and she sort of yeah. said, "Yeah, you guys would go outside for 15 minutes and then come in screaming." And, yeah. <laughs> and, but it was enough for me to have these incredible Calvin and Hobbesy-type yeah. memories. So, like yeah. the Radajkowski thing, there's a um, a both and to this. Um, I'd never want to be anti-cozy. I, uh, who doesn't sure. like coziness? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you can be cozy in a psychiatric hospital with enough blankets and a flameless candle. That's true. You know? And I think it really I mean, speaks like, living to... living underground in Wind of the Willows or something? You know? No, RJ, they're animals. It's not, you know, it's not actually about real people. <laughs> Isn't it kind uh, of like being dead? <laughs> <laughs> who is cozy like being dead? I don't know. I mean, I live in constant fear of coziness right now because it would suck Um, you in and never leave you because it would suck me in and I couldn't get out and because I've had that experience in the past year and as someone who deals a lot with anxiety but only because of the situation has dealt with depression um I that it, it actually is a big fear of mine like I will say to Josh I've said to him recently like let me know if I'm napping too much am I falling asleep too right. much is it weird for the kids you know because it just is it can kind of pull you in and then I'll let you go you know that you don't want to go so far as like well what we need to be is really uncomfortable and you know sleep right, on beds of moving. nails and stuff like that yeah like the inability yeah, 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 to rest yeah. is a real issue yeah. But what you're looking for in this manufactured coziness, it should it should simply be a a barometer that people mm-hmm. are uh, in need of uh, dying for something of, of belonging and, and comfort and yeah. and the feeling of love and intimacy that she talks about, which is belovedness. Um, that I think, frankly, um, you know, is at the heart of what we try to talk about when we talk about God. Well, it's the best case scenario for church. I mean, I have to say, like, a lot of those things. I know, I know, and everybody, there's people listening, they're like, well, I, went, I tried church. But, like, it is the best case scenario in church. Just go to St. Mike's, okay? Uh, RJ, what were you about to say? Go to St. Mike's! <laughs> Rucker? I was just going to say, I, I, th- I, I got to believe 90% of the people who are listening relate to just a, a general feeling of exhaustion and borderline depression right now after the after the mm. two years that we've all sure. collectively suffered through Grief. it's it's been it's been a hell of a time you know sure. and and uh, it sounds weird to say that yeah that we all just kind of need a couple weeks off because some people wasn't like, well, that what we had it's like well no it's no. not actually not at all you know not at all like you may have been alone and maybe you weren't working but it was not a restful time at all it was Simmering not a community anxiety. time it was not a loving time yeah it i was... mean if by rest you mean like googling how many people died today then yes it was very restful or googling yeah. how many people were like completely you know what what overreaction or reaction you're sort of worried about right. more worried about yeah well let's yeah. go to the heart of the matter which is actually uh, i'm glad you mentioned Nadia earlier because she sent out on Reformation Day a sermon uh, which she called Sin Boldly and uh, in which she really captured I think something of what we're trying to convey uh, when we talk about the gospel and we talk about the law. So it's a good refresher course for all of us but it spoke to me powerfully just in my in my just daily life. She yeah. starts out by, and bear with me, she says Martin Luther had a way of talking about sin that makes a whole lot of sense to me now. To him, sin was bigger than simple immorality. Sin was more than the big bad things others do so we can feel superior for not doing. Sin, according to Luther, is the self being curved in on oneself without a thought for God or the neighbor. In that case, it can be alcoholism, or it can be passive aggression. It can be the ways I manipulate others to get what I want, or it can be adultery. It can be embezzling funds, or it can be that feeling of superiority when I'm helping others. Sin is the fact that my ideals and values are never enough to make me always do what I should, feel what I should, think what I should. And the law is anything that reveals those shoulds to me. The shoulds in our lives are the things that make us see how far off the mark we are. 
This means, again, the shoulds are not necessarily bad. They're just revealing. And feeling convicted by the law looks, this is incredible, like every feminist who in secret hates her body and every televangelist who's really addicted to porn and every social worker who doesn't actually look into the eyes of the homeless man they pass every day on the corner. They all know what the law can do to us, how cruel the distance is between our ideal self and our actual self can feel. And that feeling of not ever really hitting the mark, whatever that mark is, is the feeling of the law convicting you. The medieval church had pawned off law as gospel, and Luther dared to know the difference, and then he became preacher of grace, and that changed the world. This isn't just a medieval thing. What passes for preaching in most settings, liberal or conservative, is some version of here's the problem and here's what you should be doing about it, which I have never in my life heard as good news. So in celebration of Reformation Sunday, I would like to offer us a field guide for spotting the difference between law and gospel. Here we go. You can tell the law because it is almost always an if-then proposition. If you follow all the rules in the Bible, then God will love you and you'll be happy. If you lose 20 pounds, then you will be worthy to be loved. If you live a perfectly righteous, green, eco-lifestyle, then you'll be worthy of taking up space in the planet. If you never have a racist or sexist or homophobic thought, then you'll be worthy of calling other people out on their racism and sexism and homophobia. The law is always conditional and never anything anyone can do perfectly. When we treat the law as if it will save us, as if it is gospel, there can never be flourishing. Under the law, there are only two options, pride and despair. When fulfilling the shoulds is the only thing that determines our worthiness. What is it, RJ? You are not, who you, where you go is not who you will be. Uh, when fulfilling the shoulds is the only thing that determines our worthiness, we are either prideful about our ability to follow the rules compared to others, or we despair at our inability to perfectly do anything. Either way, it's still bondage. And that's why the gospel is different. The gospel is not an if-then proposition. The gospel is a because, 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 because proposition. Oh my gosh. Because God is our creator, and because we rebel against the idea of being created beings, and insist on trying to be God for ourselves, and because God will not play by our rules, and because in the fullness of time when God had had quite enough of all that, God became human in Jesus Christ to show us who God really is, and because God would not be deterred, God went so far as to hang on the cross we built, and did not even lift a finger to condemn, but said, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And because Jesus Christ defeated even death and the grave, and rose on the third day, and because we all sin and fall short, and are forever turned in on ourselves, and forget that we belong to God, and that none of our success guarantees this and none of our failures exclude this and because God came to save and not to judge therefore therefore you are saved by grace as a gift and not by the works of the law and this truth will set you free like no self-help can do and took us to school <laughs> I mean I just yeah it's so it's so good and it for me it's just it's really like good sweet news to hear this like you know, wildly popular Christian clergy person, woman, progressive, like say this stuff to the world. Like, it's just, I don't know, like it, for me personally, like it's incredibly uplifting and encouraging. And, but I mean, I, I actually watched an Instagram of Nadia. Did you see, I don't know if you saw this, but it, I, I saw it last if, night. Or she's deciding to pull back from the, social the media <laughs> and, yeah Sorry. and it was like such a good i mean it was just i'm so interested this is like a weird thing to say that she because she's talking about pulling back from some of the stuff but but she is producing content in other places and i'm so interested to see what it is because you know the story about her do you know this story that the part of i mean there's lots of reasons she's pulling back but her um nephew was killed in the fall yeah and she wrote on Twitter, which, you know, is like the scariest place in the whole wide world. Um, Grief disfigures. That's all she wrote. And immediately somebody came on and said, like, that they couldn't believe she was making such an ableist comment. And I just I felt very convicted. But like, I watched that. and I was like, that is exactly, you know, that is exactly what the world feels like. So for me to hear her talk about the law, like she gets it. 
You know what I mean? Like she gets she it. Gets, she, she lives in that in-between gospel place that's very hard to live in. And uh, I'm thankful for her voice. I didn't know that, that. I mean, I knew about what had happened, but I didn't know. She, she certainly um, experiences a lot of correction. <laughs> yeah. And for her to get up here and say some of this stuff, I think uh, all these years uh, you know, later, I think is... Uh, what is it? Bold. <laughs> be, bold. be bold be bold Nadia but Rutger what do you say that's a that's like a it's a beer commercial that's like a, what, what's know. the beer is it uh, it's some, me- it's some Mexican font, beer it's just with a Sylvester know, Stallone and some boxer he's like hey champ be bold you know so rice is cribbing from uh, Mexican beer commercials right. good to know <laughs> so funny um, for me it's just convicting because it's just so easy to fall back into the law it's just yeah. so easy to yes. think if I yes. just get my theology right, if I just look then, like Emily Ratajkowski, if I just have a really cozy living room, well, yeah, yeah. But even as <laughs> if a, I even just as write a, the right college essay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, even as a as a as a you know as a Christian as a pastor as a person who says yes 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 and believes all those things, you know, am I communicating to myself and my my flock, you know? If you just believe in justification by faith alone, perfectly, then you know you'll be at peace and you'll right. be set free, and they'll, be, you know, and and. You know, theology matters, faith matters, belief matters, but, um, you know, we're not going to get anything right on this side, or not going to get much right on this side of the veil. So you do the best you can to proclaim the gospel as faithfully as you can, knowing you're going to make massive mistakes. And so you, you know, you confess and repent and and move on and count on God to make things happen, right? That's the promise is that God works through our broken humanity, even when we totally, uh, even when we totally blow it. Um, yeah. And I'll say there have been times I've been really pessimistic. It's easy to be cynical and pessimistic about the church in general, you know? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. but you know what? This seems to be the way that God has wanted to work for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, it just, he seemed, this seems to be the way he wants to do things, you know, as imperfect as it is and imperfect as I am. And that's not to excuse all the stuff that happens, but um, God is faithful in the midst of our inability to get anything right. So, Dave, what were you going to say? I mean, no, I think I was, I was walking with a friend the other day and uh, this is a person who, you know, is, is, he comes to, at least two years ago, was coming to church, regularly comes to church, is, loves our church, he considers the message of God's grace to be foundational to his life and he's asked me how it was going and I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, um, our church is uh, 40% smaller than it was two years ago and like if it were a business, it'd be shut down. And like, oh. it would, I mean, we're, we're, there's a lot of, you could, you could, you could go all day long about how, you know, views on Instagram, you know, on, on, on oh, you know, YouTube God. and all this I'm stuff so sick of, yeah, and even yeah, yeah, giving yeah, yeah. and all that things is, is yeah. fine. But you want to say you, yeah. you go from having 16, 600 people on a Sunday to seeing 325. Yeah. And that's, that's a little demoralizing. And mm. I said, sure. and I said, you know, sometimes I, I can't help but think that if uh, the devil wanted to completely gut churches and make it impossible for the people who need the coziness and belonging and intimacy that it provides to feel like they couldn't come, then they, they would, this pandemic and the way that all the communication and the schools and the children and the vaccine, all the stuff, every aspect of it seems almost perfectly geared towards wanting to shut this sucker down. And he looked at me, he's like, well, what makes you think the devil would want to do that? Like, maybe it's, you know, from what I read the Bible, God is in the business of doing that sometimes. <laughs> and I said, shut up. <laughs> you <laughs> shut right. You shut mouth. I do not want to hear that message right now. How dare you believe this more deeply than me? We're amazing and he loves us and he only wants us to grow. He only wants. For his glory <laughs> and sort of for our. He wants dare my you justify first your glory sleeping to be in. satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought to myself, you know, you know, whatever happens, God's uh, doing something. And um, that is like my favorite thing when people clap bad grades to me. I'm like, okay, look, I'm the one that told you about yeah, don't, it. All right. It doesn't apply to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a, um, a, a zinger that, that, I, so that cut me to the core. Yeah. Um, well, that's all I got for today. That's a lot. Um, I'm going to feel like I'm just going to go pour myself a cup of coffee and sit in front of a fire and maybe... Ooh, amazing. What, RJ, you have anything, final word? Yeah, I, just thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, that I, I'm feeling more and more that part of just believing this is true is holding everything in your life with a loose hand. Holding, holding oh, yeah. absolutely everything with a loose hand and, yes. and just... 
you know, your successes, your failures, your dreams, your fears, your pain, you know, I don't know. You just hold it all with a, a very loose hand and you're just constantly waiting to see what God does. You know, the oh, doors he opens, the doors he closes, the things he shuts down, the things he grows. Um, and uh, not to get too, not to get too, uh, I don't know, not to get too, you know, holy detachment somehow. To care and not to know. care. To care and not, I, I say that to people yeah. all the time. How do you yeah. care and not care? Like this is the most important thing in the world and it's all going to be okay and God's in charge, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so over to you, big guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy birthday, Sarah. Um, Thank you. Have and, a great one. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can all sing Annie, Annie, get your gun next time. That's right. I'm still reeling. Um, thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.embird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at embird.com. Audio production for The Mocking Cast is provided by TJ Hester. And if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time. <laughs>